All right, I want to welcome you to Grace Community Church this morning. And I want to welcome you to our continuing study of the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Please join me and let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to meet us through the preaching of the word. Lord, we come to you today, and we want to humble ourselves, God, in your presence. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for means of grace that you've given us on the Lord's day. The day sanctified by the resurrection of your Son from the dead. Lord, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the Word of God that you've given us in our own language. And Lord, we want to come to you today, God, and we want to think about you rightly. We want to know you rightly, Lord. And we want to respond to you rightly, God. And so, Lord, we ask you as we go to your word this morning that you would give us an exalted view of who you are. A higher view of you as our Lord and our God. Your word tells us who you are, Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You are an exalted God. You're a God of infinite glory, Lord. You're an eternal God without beginning and without end. You dwell in inapproachable light. And it's a grace, Lord, that you have made yourself known to us. And we want to humble ourselves today. And we want to tell you, as our Father in heaven, as your church and your people, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you. God, we've read about your indictment against your people, Lord, where you say, God, because of their rebellion and their sin, you tell them to put away their songs that they sing to you. And Lord, we come to you today, God, and we cry out with all of our hearts that we don't want to be like that, Lord. We want to draw near in sincerity, Lord. We want to worship you with our hearts and with our mouths, God. And so we pray today as we open your word, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, and that you would create within us desires to honor you and to obey your word. Lord, make this time fruitful today. Fill this time up with the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish Acts chapter 20 this morning. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul has gathered together the leaders in the Ephesian church. Remember last week we called these men pastors. They're also called elders. They're also called overseers in the New Testament. All those words refer to the same office. These are the church leaders. Paul has gathered them together. The text that we're about to read is going to tell us that he's never going to see these men again. This is his farewell address. The words that he's saying uh, in Acts chapter 20, they're extremely important. It's his parting message to these Ephesian pastors. Last week, we focused in on Paul. He held up his lifestyle. 
to these pastors and he called these pastors to imitate him. And this week we're going to zone in on the, on the direct exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives these Ephesian pastors. So we're going to read God's word together this morning. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. This is the word of God, the Grace Community Church today. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that, he would not, that he, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So we have this farewell message. And this is a warm brotherly meeting in Miletus. These brothers love each other. They're weeping when they think about, I'm not going to see my brother in Christ anymore in this world. And I want us to notice the entire chapter of Acts 20, it's wrapped up in a shepherd metaphor. And this is something that if you read the Bible uh, from the beginning to end, you'll see this theme pop up from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That, that leadership among God's people is consistently compared to being a shepherd. Okay, and, and no matter if we're talking in Scripture about King David as the shepherd king of Israel, made king to shepherd Israel. Or we go over to John chapter 10 and we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ calls himself the good shepherd of God's sheep. And we get that same thing, that same metaphor in Acts 20 that, that in this Ephesians flock, this Ephesian flock, these leaders are called shepherds. That's what they are. And I want us to think about. Uh, how instructive this is as we read the word of God in its totality. When God desires to teach us his view and what he thinks about leadership 
Over and over again, we see the word of God going to this shepherd metaphor. So if we want to understand a biblical view of, of leadership in the church of Jesus, then we have to know much and we have to give attention to this shepherd, sheep, and wolf metaphor that we see in, in, Acts, in Acts chapter 20. And I want to mention just a couple of things before we get into this text. Okay? That you knowing about this shepherd metaphor is important not only for you to know the Bible in and of itself. But you need to know this because of the culture that you live in. The church culture in America. And so I want to give us a few reminders of what's happening in our generation and in our midst. This is something that needs to be recovered. Okay. One of the ways that the church in America has forgotten who she is, is manifested in the way that the church in America talks about, thinks about, and practices church and church leadership. Okay? And if you've been paying attention at all uh, to, with, any, with any depth in, in the last several decades, you know that the trends in the American church and in this city, okay, increasingly the church of Jesus Christ is being ran like a Fortune 500 corporation. Increasingly it's being ran like a business and not being governed by the word of God. And one of, the, one of the ways that this is manifesting itself is that pastors in the church of Jesus Christ are consistently being viewed as CEO type figures instead of shepherds of God's flock, shepherds of God's sheep. And what this is a symptom of is the church being hijacked by worldly wisdom, being being um, operated by the wisdom of men instead of by the wisdom of God in Holy Scripture. So what kinds of things are we seeing in the church, uh, in, in our generation and in, and in our culture? We're seeing everything being hijacked and ran by attendance numbers. You ever bump into that in your conversations with other Christians of how's your church doing? Oh, we have this many people coming to our church. And I want you to think about how instructive these trends are and what they reveal about the doctrine, a biblical understanding of the church and why we need to recover it. That what we're hearing, what we're hearing by and large is people no longer are talking about covenant membership. Okay? How many people at your church are in covenant membership? How many people at your church have repented of their sins, been publicly recognized as followers of Jesus Christ? And are actively submitting themselves to the discipline of the local church. We don't talk like that anymore. What we talk like in our generation and what we hear all around us is how many warm bodies are coming in the front door on Sunday morning. This is the hijack. You could call it the modern day downgrade of the biblical view of the church and its leadership. Hijacked by attendance numbers. Hijacked by pragmatism. Anything and everything is done in the church of Jesus Christ under the banner of being um, relevant. 
Okay? We don't have churches uh, walking around talking and losing sleep over. We got to be faithful no matter what. What we're hearing all around us is we got to be relevant no matter what. Everything is being driven by we have to have more people come in the front door on Sunday morning in our church. And pastor's role is to make all of this happen. Okay? Their role is to innovate all these programs, to, to create all these ways to, to drive more and more warm bodies in the, into the building on Sunday morning. This is not faithfulness. Okay? This is not faithfulness. And when we think about that, I want you to remember that these fads and these departures from biblical wisdom, okay, they're not like flavors on an ice cream cone of, oh, they like this flavor and this person likes this flavor. I want us to remember that, that these things harm people. They're destructive to people. They really hurt human beings. They really are not helpful to people's souls. And you know, I'm sure you know, many people that you love that find themselves sitting in a church like this for 10, 15, 20 years and they don't grow. They're not increasing in holiness and in the, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're not laying down their lives as fruitful servants of Jesus. This stuff is like poison, okay? It's like poison. And so this metaphor that we have in Acts 20, it helps us to have something to aim at in our efforts to recover a biblical understanding of the church and its leadership. And I would argue that this is one of the greatest needs in our generation in the American church of recovering. What does the Bible say about the church and how it should function? What does the Bible say about the leaders of the church and what they're supposed to do? I would argue that that is one of the greatest needs in this generation. And we have Acts chapter 20. Paul's going to turn us back to this shepherd metaphor. He's going to have a lot to say, a lot to instruct us about what these men are to be and what these men are to do in Christ church. And I'll say the same thing as I said last week, that the primary uh, audience that Paul is talking to is pastors like me and like Ryan. Uh, leaders in in the church of Jesus Christ. But but we said that pastors are supposed to be examples to the flock. And that means that what scripture says to pastors has implications to followers of Christ all across the room this morning. Okay? God calls pastors to be examples. And not only that, congregations at the end of the day are the ones who are ultimately responsible for holding their leaders to biblical standards. And if you're going to do that responsibly as a congregation and as a local church, then you need to know what these biblical standards are so that you know what kinds of men that you're looking for. And so you know what kinds of standards that you're holding your leaders to. So this message today, even though it's directed to pastors, is extremely applicable to every follower of Christ in this room. So I want us to dive into the text this morning, and I want us to, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in verse 28, okay? And we're going to jump around the, the rest of these paragraphs, but we're going to spend most of our time this morning in verse 28. And I want you to think about when he begins his direct exhortation, not just calling uh, these pastors to imitate his life, 
I want us to pay attention to the very first thing he says to these Ephesian pastors. Verse 28, he tells them to pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. Jump down to verse 31. He says almost the same thing um, again. Begin verse 31. He says, be alert. Pay careful attention. Be alert. And so I want you to notice that the first thing he, he calls these men to is wakefulness. Okay? Wake up. Be alert. Pastors, you are not to be sleeping on the job. Uh, the, the things that God has called you to do in the church of Jesus Christ, they're way, way too important for you to be sleepy and slumbering. He says, wake up, pay careful attention, be alert. And then, he, and, then he, and then he turns this attention in some specific ways. And the very first thing he says is pay careful attention to yourselves. Okay. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And if you're thinking about this shepherd metaphor, that's a little bit surprising that the very first thing he turns them to is not the sheep, but to themselves. And this tells us something really important about church leadership. A shepherd's first duty, a pastor's first duty is to tend to his own soul, to watch over his own heart. And the Bible calls him to do that very, very Carefully, And any pastor and really any disciple of Jesus knows exactly why Paul says that. And, and they know exactly why, because there's no pastor on the face of the earth that is above temptation. There's no pastor on the face of the earth that's, that, that doesn't have a sinful nature. And so we know as followers of Christ that we have to pay careful attention to our own souls, to our own hearts. Pastors aren't exempt from this. And if you don't know that, you're going to set yourself up for this Messiah complex that you would have towards leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. They're fallible men. They're called to watch over their own soul, watch over their own hearts. Pastors have to study their heart and turn away from sin. They have to make it their business every day to walk with God. Pastors, uh, they're, they're not mainly uh, uh, program men and program administrators. They're godly men that walk with God. Pay careful attention to yourself, to your own soul. And I want you to think about how helpful this is when we, when we talk about reorienting our priorities to the word of God. Okay. Especially in this modern day downgrade trend that we're seeing in the local church. More than anything else, churches need godly pastors. They need godly pastors more than gifted pastors. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how many times you've heard uh, the modern downgrade says, pay careful attention to attendance numbers. Pay careful attention to the things that bring people into the church. Or think about the things that you've heard through pastoral search committees. Pay careful attention to the, a dynamic personality. That's what you really want. And I want you to see the contrast that we have in Acts 20. Paul says, no, no, no. Pay careful attention to your soul. To your soul. To your heart. To yourself. That more than anything else, you're a man who's cultivating godliness. 
more than anything else, churches need godly pastors, holy leadership. Paul says this again to Timothy, to Timothy later in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4, listen to verse 16. He tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So God's word is reminding us that when a man, a leader in the church of Jesus Christ walks in holiness, it affects more than just him. And we see that promise right there. If you do this, you will save both yourself and your, your hearers. And so right out of the gate, Acts, Acts 20 reminds us that we need holy pastors. Got it? Not men gifted in a worldly sense. Oh man, this has this, this this brother has all kind of these managerial skills. Man, you ought to see the way that this brother um, <clears throat> manages these finances and what he's done at this corporation. And let's make him an elder because he's got all these uh, vocational giftings. Paul says, no, no, no. More than anything else, you need holy men, godly men leading the church of Jesus Christ. And then look closely at verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. And that word shows up in Acts 20 as plural, yourselves. Okay. And what that means is that not only are these men supposed to watch over their own heart. These men are supposed to watch over one another. I want you to think about that. This takes us to a very important piece. Of church leadership. And that's the doctrine of plurality. Okay. In Acts 20. What do we have? What do we see about church leadership in Acts 20? We have the, the leaders in the church of Ephesus are gathered to the Apostle Paul. And guess what? There's more than one. They show up in the plural. Okay. And in fact, if you read the New Testament carefully. This is the pattern of New Testament church leadership. Not one man over leading the local church, but a plurality of men leading the local church. Now, the New Testament actually commands this. Okay? Again, this is not like flavors of ice cream. Of some Christians like it this way, and some Christians like it, you know, this way. You could do church this way, or you could do church this way. The Bible actually commands a plurality of leadership in every local church. And we see that in two places. Two places. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. The first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul goes out and he preaches the gospel in several different cities. And in verse 23, he, turned, he does a U-turn and he revisits each one of these cities where he's preached the gospel and gathered together disciples. And the word of God tells us that he appointed elder, elders, plural, in every church that was planted on the first missionary journey. This is a pattern that the Apostle Paul expects us to follow. Okay, And then it becomes a command that we're expected to obey in Titus chapter 1. Verse 5, Paul writes to Titus. He's on the island of Crete. And Paul tells Titus, I want you to set in order what is lacking. And what Paul tells Titus to do is that in every village, every town on this island, that he is to appoint elders, plural, in every local 
church. This is the doctrine of plurality of leadership. Okay? And this is exactly what we have in, in Acts 20. And I, and I want I to make you aware of a few different things um, that undermine a real plurality of what we're striving for. And, and, and really, the thing that undermines plurality is any and all forms of hierarchy in church leadership. And so there's been a lot of different views of leadership and how it's to be done in the history of the church. One of those views says you're supposed to have a regional bishop over all the other pastors. Okay, that's Episcopalian forms of church government. That's been around for a really long time. But look, look closely. If there was anything remotely like that in, in the word of God, would this not be a perfect time to single out one of these brothers that stood above the other brothers? And you can stare at Acts 20 for hours and you'll never find that. These men stand before the Apostle Paul as equals. They are brothers. There's a real plurality functioning in the Ephesian church. Another form of hierarchy that's popular today is you have a senior pastor and then you have his staff under him. That principle undermines a real plurality equals brothers that love each other laboring in the church of Jesus Together, You don't see anything here about teaching elders rule, uh, over ruling elders. No distinctions are being made. They hold the same office. They're equals. They have equal authority. They're pastors in the church of Jesus Christ. There's a real plurality that's functioning, that's happening in this Ephesian church. And this is what we're striving for. Real plurality. And from the very beginning of Grace Community Church, this is something that we wanted to go after from the very beginning. That the church of Jesus Christ is not to be led by one personality, one gift set, and one man. We need plurality. Mission teams need plurality. Every local church needs plurality. This is what we're aiming for. And we've seen a lot of different benefits of organizing ourselves at Grace Community Church according to the wisdom of God. There's a lot of different things that we've looked at over the years and said, you know what? There's, we can praise the Lord for that. That, that. Man, we didn't even see that benefit coming of having a plurality of leadership, but there it goes. And the one thing, so we could talk about many benefits of plurality, but the one place where the Apostle Paul puts his finger in this passage of a real benefit of having brothers who are equals laboring and leading the church together is that they watch over one another. They pay careful attention to themselves. They hold each other accountable. They encourage one another in the Lord. They labor together. They pray together. And yes, they even correct each other. Okay? This is plurality. And so if you ever thought about this question, well, who watches over the pastor? You know, we know that we have uh, tendencies to wander, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But who watches over the pastor? If you're in a church with a real plurality, there's an answer to that question. And the answer is the other pastors. They do that. They watch over one another. And this is what we see presented to us in Acts 20. A team of men leading the Ephesian church. And Paul looks at these men. Tells them to pay careful attention to themselves. And then he calls them to pay careful attention. Verse 28. To all the flock. To all the flock. 
Now I want you to just think just for a minute of how weighty that commandment really is. Put yourself in one of these men's shoes. We don't know how many leaders there were standing before Paul. And you, and you think about how weighty this is that you were just commanded to care for all the flock of God in Ephesus. Every single sheep you are commanded from the word of God. If you're standing in their place, you're commanded to know the state of their soul. You're commanded to know how it's going in every sheep's life that you're responsible for. Let that sit in the biblical standard. Here's the biblical standard for pastors. All the flock, not some of the flock, not even most of the flock. The biblical standard is all the flock of God. And we're told in the Bible that pastors are going to give an account to the ascended Jesus as to what they've done with this specific command. I want to read that to you in Hebrews 13. Verse 17, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Pastors will give an account for what they've done in watching over all the flock of God that's in their charge. I want you to think about what this, what this teaches us about shepherds and about pastors. And, and one of the most important things that it teaches us is that a pastor is not just a Bible lecturer. He doesn't roll into the church on Sunday morning, open the Bible, say a few things, close the Bible, and see you next week. He's not, a, he's not a seminary professor giving Bible lectures. A pastor, biblically, is a shepherd of sheep. And what this means is that this man teaches the Bible, no doubt. Don't want to take that away at all. That's the primary thing that he does. But this shepherding, this watching over all the flock of God. It tells us that these men have to get down in the lives of the people of God. They have to get down into the lives of the flock, down into the lives of the sheep. They know what's going on in their flock. This is watchfulness. Watchfulness. They really care about people. You think about some really unhelpful uh, versions of pastors and one really unhelpful version is something called itinerant pastor. That you have this guy that blows into town. Maybe he lives four or five hours away. And he comes in and he preaches and we see him next week. That's not a pastor according to the New Testament. That's someone giving a sermon once a week. That's not a shepherd in God's flock watching over sheep. Now, can this be overdone? Uh, getting into the lives of the flock and knowing the state of the soul of every flock and uh, every, every sheep in your charge, can that be overdone, overcooked? And the answer to that is absolutely it can. Absolutely this can be um, overcooked and overdone in the hands, this charge in the hands of a domineering man, an overbearing man that's pushing his way into people's lives, digging in where he's got no business Digging in. Absolutely, this can be overdone. And it does happen. 
But I want us to be really, really honest that what happens more often, 10 times to 1, is this commandment is being ignored in the church of Jesus Christ. This commandment is being ignored in the church of Jesus Christ. And you see that manifesting itself in churches, churches that have low view of membership. Can you imagine being a pastor that's taking this commandment seriously? That's going to, give a, going to give an account to the ascended Jesus. Eyes like a flame of fire. Voice like the sound of many waters. And he's going to ask you what you've done with this commandment. This watching over the flock. You would think that one of the most important things for you to identify as a pastor is who is in your flock and who is not in your flock. And the way that that's identified in New Testament churches is through church membership. We have churches in our, in our day where it's, it's getting more and more common to have churches that don't even have membership. And you imagine being a pastor that takes this serious and you don't even know, is this an attender? Is this a lost person that needs to be evangelized? Or is this one of my flock that I'm going to give an account for? This is being ignored today. This is being ignored today. But this is the biblical standard that pastors watch over all the flock of God. Verse 28 says, this is why the Holy Spirit makes them overseers. Look at what it says in verse 28. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to what end? To care for the church of God. Put in this position to care for the church of God. This is their role. This is their role. Uh, just a couple of years ago, um, I was in a conversation with a local pastor in this city over a cup of coffee. And he told me this. I really love to preach the Bible, but I do not like dealing with church members. And as common as that is, okay, and as pervasive as that is, that is sinful. That is a sinful mindset for a leader in the church that I just want to show up and I just want to talk about the Bible. You can do that into a speaker and put your stuff on the Internet. That's not what God, God calls pastors to do. God calls pastors to get into the lives of real people, to know the state of their soul, to encourage them in the Lord, to pray for them, to counsel them, even to correct them as needed. Made overseers by the Holy Spirit to care for the church of God. Paul reminds us in this passage that a man is to serve the body of Christ. But he also tells us that a man's motives are really important as he serves the body of Christ. Look at this in verse 33. Paul reminds these men in verse 33 that he coveted. No one's silver or gold or apparel. Then jump down to verse 35. Paul says this again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And what he's doing is he's teaching these men at the very foundation of pastoral ministry. It's a call to serve the sheep, not to be served by the sheep. Okay. And this look at what he says there. I didn't covet anybody's money. I'm not doing this stuff to be paid for it. I'm not doing this stuff 
for the money. And that's important for a leader in the church of Jesus. That you are to serve the sheep not for what they can give you. Not for the money and the job security that they provide for you. That's not the motive of a true shepherd. It is the motive of a false shepherd. And Jesus warns us about that mindset of a hireling in John chapter 10. Of those who are taking care of the flock because of what they can get out of it. And as soon as as things get hard, Jesus says shepherds like that skip town. And so these pastors are being exhorted to watch over all the flock of God with sanctified motives. That they're doing this in service to the people of God and not for what the church in Ephesus can give to them. I want us to think about that little phrase, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And I want us to notice that elders and pastors... And leaders in the local church, if that's true, the Holy Spirit makes an overseer, then that means that pastors and elders and overseers in the local church, they can't be mass produced. We can't say we need this many elders by this time next year and we just demand God to do it and we make it happen. There's no program that you can enter into. There's no curriculum that you can take that you pop out the other side an overseer. Not how it works. The Spirit of God makes overseers. The Spirit of God produces pastors. The Spirit of God calls them. The Spirit of God gifts these men to do the work. The Spirit of God qualifies these men. The Spirit of God leads this at every step in, in the process. Okay? Pragmatism doesn't lead appointing elders in a local church. The Spirit of God leads appointing elders. Elders in the local church. The Spirit of God raises up men. What does this mean for us? At Grace Community Church. We desire more pastors, elders, and overseers to be raised up at this church. We desire that. Both to join in the leadership here and to be sent out and to to preach God's word and to shepherd God's flock in other places. We want that. And if we really believe what we're reading... In verse 28, that the Spirit of God makes a man an overseer. Then we'll be a church that calls on the Lord. We'll be a church that's known for bowing our knee and lifting up our voice to God, saying, Holy Spirit, do it. Give some men in our midst a burden. Give them a burden to serve you in this way. Sanctify their motives, Lord Jesus. Make them servants, holy men. That watch over their own souls. That want to lay down their lives to serve the body of Christ. I hope this text exhorts you to pray in that way. Holy Spirit, do this in our midst. Raise up such men. Paul's next move in Acts 20. He's encouraging these pastors. And it's a, and it's a weighty way to encourage them. But what he's teaching them is this. That pastors are going are gonna to zealously and diligently and joyfully serve the body of Christ to the degree that they perceive the preciousness of the people of God. And you see this in verse 28. Paul says, care for the church of God. And then he adds these words, which he purchased with his own blood. So I want you to 
I want you to think Paul's thoughts after him. Okay? Paul's claim here is that every local church has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, every saint in every local church is precious to Jesus Christ. Precious enough to Christ to bleed for. Every saint in every local church. And the logic is this. What is precious to Jesus Christ must become precious to every pastor. What is precious to Jesus Christ must become precious to every pastor. And that principle applies to every Christian. You are to love what Jesus loves. You are to value what Jesus values. I've heard people say this before. That I love Jesus, but I cannot stand the church. It's one of the marks of false conversion in our culture. That people have been deceived that they can have Christ and hate his bride. That they can have Christ and hate what Jesus died to sanctify. And this is the exact opposite. We're called to have a blood-bought mindset when we think about the local church. And it's a beautiful thing that he's applying this blood-bought mindset, not just to the universal church, though that's true. He's bringing this down into the Ephesian church. That Jesus Christ purchased this local church, obtained it with his own blood. And that's no less true for Grace Community Church. We have been bought, obtained by the blood of Christ. And one of the things, brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters all over this room, one of the things that I hope you know this morning, I hope you're encouraged by this morning, is that the word of God tells you that Jesus loves you. The word of God tells you that you are precious to Jesus Christ. You're precious to him. Jesus is not like Pharaoh of old. He doesn't rule his church like a taskmaster and demand bricks and deny straw. He's not a ruthless slave driver. He loves you. He loves you so much that he bled for you. He died for you. Jesus loves you. Ron reminded us earlier in the Lord's Supper, Jesus drank a cup of wrath for you. And the Bible says that he drank it down to the dregs, to the point to where you find yourself today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus took it all. Jesus loves you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and has sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isaiah 49, verse 16. Think of what, what this will mean if you really laid hold of this this morning by faith and you really believed God's Word to you today. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord loves you. He's engraved you on his hands. He sent his son to die a bloody sacrifice for your sins. And he promises that this love that he's loved you with at the cross is going to be steadfast through all eternity. And think about that. Think about eternity. Never ending time will you know a moment where the Lord Jesus doesn't love you. You are precious to Jesus Christ. 
And his love for you is steadfast. At the end of Romans 8, we're told that there's nothing in all creation, nothing in all of creation that can separate a believer from the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you. You are precious sheep to Jesus Christ. And Paul's next move in Acts 20, it makes sense when you realize how precious the people of God are to Jesus. And if, that, and, and if these precious sheep are loved by their leaders, one of the things that you're going to see their leaders do if they love these precious sheep is they're going to try to protect them from anything that could possibly harm them. And Paul calls them to this duty. Beginning in verse 29, Paul says this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul warns these shepherds about wolves. And wolves get your attention when they try to harm people that you love. People that are precious. Both to you and to Christ. And Paul tells us, uh, these men, that these wolves are coming from two directions. And they need to, and they need to be awake. They need to be alert. Verse 29, they're going to come in among you. That means they're going to try to enter and infiltrate the flock from outside the flock. They're outside the flock and they're going to try to have some influence inside the flock. These are dangerous men outside the church. But then Paul says this in verse 31, uh, verse 30. From among your own selves. From among your own selves. And he warns about dangerous men, not outside the church. Not outside the church. And not just in the church. But listen closely in the leadership of the church from within the Ephesian eldership, they are being warned about fierce wolves. And I want you to think about that metaphor. What do fierce wolves do when they're hanging out with a lot of sheep? This metaphor is couched in this is dangerous. There's going to be injury. Some people are going to be hurt. Some souls are going to be hurt. And some people might die. There might be some death involved. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And we could, be, we could, be, we could use a reminder that when we think about false teaching, infiltrating the church of Jesus, we're not talking about a placebo pill. That, yeah, they're wrong, but it's not really that dangerous. This is poison in the body of Christ. Poison, fierce wolves in the midst of precious sheep. And that's the, these men are called to, to watchfulness. By far, the most dangerous type of wolf is the second type from within the body of Christ. Why are they so dangerous and why are they so much more dangerous? And the answer to that is because they look like sheep. And Jesus warned us exactly of this. Of wolves in sheep's clothing. You look at them and there's a lot about these individuals and they look like sheep. They look like they're part of the flock. 
But under the surface, they are ravenous wolves. They're not just wrong and they're not just to be ignored. They, they are dangerous to the flock of God, but they look like sheep. And the shepherd's job is he's got to know the difference between uh, a sheep in a precious sheep in God's flock or a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's got to know the difference. This is life and death stuff in pastoral ministry. If he doesn't discern the wolf that looks like a sheep, what are we to expect out of this metaphor? Sheep to be slaughtered, sheep to be injured, people to be hurt. He's got to know the difference. And I want to talk to some of my brothers. I know that some of you have, have wrestled uh, in many ways in your life. If God would have you to be an elder in the church, to, 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 to serve the church in pastoral ministry. And I want to use this text and I want to tell you that if you, if you stick your foot in and you begin to deal in this area, you better be prepared to be misunderstood. You better be prepared for somebody to come along and say, why are you why are you talking this way to this person? They're one of God's sheep. This is one of your of, of your brothers. And you better be prepared, at least in the short run, to be temporarily misunderstood because long term you are committed to protecting Christ's sheep. This type of thing in the local church, when someone is dealt with as, a, as, as false teaching and false living. It will almost always be temporarily misunderstood. And you better know that from the front end. That you're committed to obey Jesus Christ and to protect His church even if it's misunderstood. You need to be prepared for that. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul gives us two attributes of a wolf. Here's how we know who these men are. They are revealed by their words. In verse 30, Paul says they speak twisted things. They speak twisted things. And this is a dangerous thing to have, you know, historic Orthodox Christianity. That's the faith that's been passed down generation after generation after generation. And for a man to have all these subtle nuances of how he wants to fix everything that the church has gotten wrong for 2,000 years. Twisted things. Twisted things. He's known by the words that he speaks. Paul also says that a wolf is known by his motives. He's revealed by his motives. Look at verse 30. Paul says that these men arise to draw away the disciples after themselves. To draw away the disciples after themselves. If you could get inside the, the mind and the heart of one of these men, what you would see is you would see a man who lusts for power and he lusts for position, authority, and influence in the church of Jesus Christ. He lives off the praise of man. He wants to be told how great he is, how smart he is, how godly he is. He wants to turn the sheep, not after Christ, but after himself. This is their motive. Self-praise. This is one of the most dangerous things for a pastor and a leader in the church 
to live in. One of the most dangerous things that he can live in is this lust for the praise of man. I want to be told how great I am. I want to be told how godly I am. If that dominates the mind and the heart of a pastor and a shepherd in Jesus' church, at the end of the day, he's going to call people to himself instead of allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, the primary way that a shepherd cares for the flock is he, he teaches God's word. He opens God's word and he teaches it in all kinds of ways. Paul says he does this in public and he does this from house to house. He teaches it to Jews. He teaches it to Greeks. And this is the primary role of a pastor is to teach God's word. This is, this is the way he feeds the sheep. The sheep are nourished through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. But the sheep are also protected through that exact same means. He feeds the sheep through teaching the word and he protects the sheep through teaching the word of God. I want to remind us that that second part where he protects the sheep from false teaching, that this is part of a job description of an elder. It's part of the job description. It's part of the qualifications. Okay. Again, this is not something extra on the side. This is what this man has to be. He has to not only know sound doctrine, but Titus chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that he must be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. He must be able to do that work. It is part of his job description. And so if you're thinking like, man, I know this God, he's... He's really, really nice. And, and, and I'm, I, mean, I mean, man, this guy is, you just don't understand. He's really, really, really nice. I mean, he's really, 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 really nice. I mean, really nice. Let's make him an elder. And there's nothing wrong with being a nice man, a gentle man, a loving man. But if your category for nice is a man that never leans in and deals with dangerous things and, and, and gives out a rebuke in the name of Jesus, that's not an elder. According to God's word, that's not an elder. He must be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. And this happens all around us. The standard is that false teaching and false living is not supposed to spread in the church of Jesus without a check from the leadership in that church. And yet it does all the time. False teaching flies around all the time in the church in your culture. Uh, false living flies around all the time unchecked by the leaders of the church in your culture. And what we need to understand is when we lean back and we muse on that of, these things happening and these men kind of sitting back and not dealing with it. That's not a virtue. That's not, man, those men are just really patient. Man, those men are just really uh, forbearing. Man, that, that's just some really nice men. That, you know, these things are happening right in front of them and they won't say anything. It's not a virtue, it's a sin. It is a sin for an elder not to rebuke false teaching. He must do this. This is part of his job description. And if he doesn't, it's an abdication of his responsibility. 
And it shows a tremendous lack of love that you won't protect the flock that is precious to Jesus Christ from false teaching that can harm them. Shows a tremendous lack of love that the shepherd doesn't have for the sheep. This is the work of an elder. Pay careful attention. Stay awake. Be alert. Know what's going on in the flock and be willing to dig in your feet and call out things that are dangerous to the body of Christ. This is a pastor's role. Paul tells us that an elder is sustained by his work. Verse 32, this is a beautiful phrase. His, his farewell departure words are, I commend you to God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And so the question that we started with last week is who's going to lead the church of Jesus Christ after the apostles die? After the last apostle dies, who's going to lead the church? And the answer to that is going to be these men, these leaders, these pastors. And where are they going to go and what are they going to run to when they can't run to the Apostle Paul anymore? And the answer to that in the word of God is to the word of his grace. This is a short, this is a, a way of describing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it, that's what's going to sustain an elder in their work is the gospel. Now. You think about that. That's one of the beautiful ways that the gospel is described in the New Testament. You ever thought about that? The gospel is elder food. The gospel is shepherd food in the New Testament. The gospel is what shepherds eat. Pastors, elders, this is, what do they eat? They eat the gospel. They cling to the gospel. And this is really helpful to us because we have... The, by and large, the most mature men in the Ephesian church. And Paul just called them to give attention to the same message that saved them and made them Christians in the first place. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And one of the things that we know is that these elders, these mature men in the Ephesian church, Paul assumes that they're never going to graduate past the gospel. That they're never going to get so godly and so mature in their Christian life where they don't need grace anymore. In fact, it's the exact opposite that Paul is telling these men, this is how you're going to make progress. This is how you're going to be built up is by giving yourself constantly to the word of his grace. And this has tremendous implications for us. It reminds us that not only is the gospel for lost people, the gospel is for elders. And if the gospel is for elders and if elders in the church need the gospel and need to cling to the gospel, then the gospel is for every Christian and every Christian needs to cling to the gospel. You never graduate past the grace of God. And one of the things that this presupposes is that these men never get over what Jesus has done in their life. They never get over it. Jesus pulls them out of the pit. Of sin and death and eternal wrath. By his free grace. Jesus could have crushed these men. But what did Jesus do? He bled for them. Paid for their sins with his own blood. Drank that cup of wrath down to the dregs. And they never got over it. Over and over and over again. They would relate to God. Through this word of his grace. Of what Jesus Christ has accomplished freely on his cross. 
And that's a really good reminder for us to never, we, we are to never get over it. Never get over what Jesus pulled you out of. The pit that Jesus pulled you out of, the sin that Jesus pulled you out of, the condemnation, the wrath, the purposelessness, all of that. Jesus lifted you out of that pit and you didn't deserve any of it. It was free grace from God. Free grace from God. The Bible says that this is what makes us strong. It is coming back daily over and over again to the gospel. And this is one of the most counterintuitive things about the Christian life. And when you look at all these other spheres, the spheres that we live in, whether it be athletics or vocation or school, the way you get really, really strong in all these spheres is you work really, really hard. And the Christian life flips it upside down. And the way that we're built up and the way that we get really, 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 really strong is we remember over and over and over again the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most counterintuitive things that you'll ever hear and under, under all of God's creation that the way to get strong is to rest in the word of His grace, to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul says this is what's going to build you up. This is what's going to give you the inheritance. Don't you ever move past it. Hebrews 13, verse 8 and 9 say it this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. One of the pitfalls that you need to be aware of, one of the most dangerous turns that you can take in your Christian life is that turn down a road in search of the secret things. That you know, yeah, you know all these JV things about Christianity. Yeah, I know all that stuff about Jesus, but I want to go into the elite club. I want the secret knowledge. And this happens in many different ways. And what we're being reminded of in this text and in Hebrews 13, is that the message never changes. We keep coming back over and over and over again to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, by, not the strange foods that don't benefit, but to the grace of God that makes us strong. Jesus' provision for His church after His ascension is this. It's a team of men who live a holy life. They watch over one another and they watch over all of God's flock. They defend the church from danger and they cling to the gospel as a matter of life and death. And I want us to close today and I want us to spend some time praying that God would be exceedingly gracious to Grace Community Church. And that we would look back 10 years from now and we would see the Lord raising up constantly over and over such men as we see described in this passage. Lord, do it. That's our prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. And we do, God, we thank you for your rich provision for your church. That you did not leave your sheep without a shepherd. You didn't do it, Lord. And you are the chief shepherd. You are, Lord.
You are the great shepherd of the sheep. And you call men to be your under shepherds and to serve your people according to your will, God. And Lord, we want to gather around this text today, Lord, and we ask you for a gift. A gift that we don't deserve, God. And we don't ask it, Lord, for the glory of our name, but for, but for your glory, we ask for the gift of elders, of pastors, and of leaders to be raised up by the Holy Spirit in this church, Lord. Please do it, Lord. Do it for the glory of your name, God. God, richly provide for leadership at Grace Community Church. And Lord, richly provide leaders that are sent out from this church to start other churches, Lord, in this area and in other areas. God, please do it for the glory of your name, Lord. God, I pray that you would uphold the leadership of this church, Lord, that you would keep us by your, by your mighty hand, Lord. And God, I pray for the future leadership of this church, Lord, that you would protect us from these fierce wolves that we see described in this passage, Lord. Help us, God. Be a chief shepherd of Grace Community Church, Lord. And raise up these men that lay down their lives for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.